0: Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a chaplain, a professor, a writer, and a speaker. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. My name is Eric Goldtrop, and I'll be your host for this episode, within which we'll discuss good and bad reasons to leave the church. So most of us have attended more than one church in our lives or have witnessed others come and go, but uh, this can be painful and confusing and kind of hard to understand. But there are both good and bad reasons to do so. So let's start with bad reasons to leave local church. What do you think, Aaron?
1: Yeah, Eric. Well, first of all, everybody, I have Eric on the show here and he's uh, filling in once again for Chris Eelman, but we got to give Eric a special shout out because in, what, what is it, Thursday. So in less than, or in and around 48 hours from now, Eric is going to be a married man. Wow. So he's getting married on Saturday. Woo! It's going to be awesome. look forward to it. And uh, congratulations. I know you and Sarah are are going to make a great Christian couple. And I can tell you as a little bit of an older guy that I'm always super excited when young Christian men and women come together and want to found a Christ-centered marriage. So we're looking forward to celebrating that. Yeah, thank you. With you. Yeah, it's going to be good. So I want to talk about, uh, yeah, good and bad reasons to leave the local church. As a pastor, I've seen many people come to our church over the years, and many, many people leave. And you have to process the reasons why people leave and make a bit of a judgment call in your own mind as to whether it was legitimate or illegitimate. And obviously, you want to give people good counsel on, on the way out the door as to whether their decisions are justifiable or unjustifiable reasons. And you want to help your own people process what is sometimes the pain and mourning process of seeing your brothers and sisters move on. So I want to talk about that. I personally uh, have moved churches in my life and in the early years, it wasn't really my decision. My parents uh, took me to a church and then their marriage broke down. And so we, Ended up relocating and going to another church, and then we relocated again to another city, and so I was taken to another church. And then, uh, after a period of time, I I started to actually be able to exercise my own will and decide what church I wanted to go to. So, from grade twelve, the twelfth grade for those that are American listeners, onward, um, you know, I've I've been part of a few different churches, and three of them in in some sort of pastoral leadership. So I've had to process in my own mind, you know, when is it appropriate for me to leave a church? Now, fortunately, I've never left the church uh, because I'm mad or angry. I think I've left for good reasons. At the same time, I'm very committed to this church and I don't have any plans on leaving. I don't really see the point of leaving. For as long as the Lord affirms through our elders that I should be an elder in this church and Serve as a pastor, I'll I'll gladly do that. But again, people do leave churches. And so my I'm not sure if very many people are going to be listening to this episode who are trying to justify bad reasons for leaving churches. But I do want to cover some of them because I think it's important for people in leadership and people in the proverbial pew to be able to process why why this happens. Why is it that people come to churches and settle in and then and then leave? I would say, just in terms of numbers, that we have, um, you know, maybe around fifteen hundred people or so that identify with our church. Maybe a little bit more than that who are who would say this is their home. Well, there's at least that many over twenty something years that have also come and said this is my home and have left for various reasons. And very very few of them through death. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them through um, moving or for other reasons. We'll talk about that. So obviously. I mean, one bad reason to leave a church is because you want to wear masks. That's been a problem over the last (laughs) couple of years. And we have had some people, strangely, who have served for many, many years in the life of our church and benefited from it and been a benefit to us who've literally left our church. How weird is this? Because we didn't enforce masks or we didn't promote a vaccine in order to attend Christian worship. And I think that's a bad reason uh, to, to leave a church. But people, I think, have done that because they they want that, and they feel sort of ashamed or awkward that others aren't doing it. So I think there's some repentance that probably needs to take place there. Uh, of course, just flat out sin. So someone might be there's a couple kind a couple ways that this is expressed. Sometimes people leave churches. You don't really know why, but later on you find out it's because of hidden sin in their lives. So we've even had this on. Uh, The level of leadership where someone steps out of leadership, steps off staff, leaves, and you find out it's because they're porn addicts or they are in the process of planning on leaving their spouse. Uh, We've had people who have left because they were about to be busted for sleeping with a girlfriend or living with someone and people that know that so sometimes people leave because there's sin and they' and they're sort of feeling guilty they're feeling convicted every week because in in a properly functioning church you're not going to come and feel condemned every week but you're going to feel convicted you know when the word is preached mm-hmm. and you're held accountable. So sometimes people leave for that reason and other times people leave when they are confronted when you find out when you discover sin and they, they you, you start to exercise church discipline, and they cut and run. That's a bad reason to leave a church. In the life of a church, we should all expect, because we're not perfect, to be confronted at times for our sin. And as long as that is done in love, that's a beautiful thing. The Proverbs 27, 6 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So a true friend will at times tap you on the shoulder and say, brother, you have an attitude problem, or you shouldn't have said that, or you need to serve more, or you know your attendance has been a little thin, or you're not treating your wife properly, or your children are out of control, or whatever it might be. That is a benefit. I know it doesn't feel good, but that's a benefit of being part of a healthy, functioning, biblical church. Other people leave just because of sen- they're, they're overly sensitive. Eric, I would call it the sensitivity syndrome, spelt. S-I-N-D-R-O-M-E. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, there's some people that are just super sensitive to things. If someone gives them a dirty look, I'm leaving the church. I wasn't asked to lead on the worship team. I'm leaving the church. I wasn't asked to teach Sunday school. I'm leaving the church. That girl turned me down for a date. I'm leaving the church. I wasn't asked to serve as an elder. You know, I'm leaving the church. People have agendas and, you know, Christians have agendas as well that sometimes they're aware of or unaware of, and they're not dealing with those agendas, those godless agendas. We have people that will leave a church because they, they don't get, get what they want. I remember having a strange conversation with a person on a city street one day. I, I bumped into someone I hadn't seen for a while, and they were sort of—I didn't realize they had moved on, in all honesty, with— some angst and uh they basically said, you know, you're one of your problems, Aaron, is that, uh, you know, you're, you're too into complementarianism and, you know, you're always pushing women down. I'm like, okay, are you, are you kidding me? Like we have, one of the best women's ministries here, women serving in all different areas of ministry and on our staff. I am a complementarian. I I don't believe that men are women and women are men. And I think we have different roles in the church. I think that's a beautiful thing. We should embrace that. But in no way, shape or form are we pushing women down. So as I was talking to this person, they brought up the fact that, you know, there's churches out there that just expect this happened to be a woman, just expect people like me to serve in a nursery, and I said, "Oh, is there a problem serving in the nursery?
0: What's wrong with that? Yeah,
1: is there a problem serving with children? I mean, Jesus took them up on his lap, and ministered to children. Well, no, no, there's not. There's not a problem with that. But, 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 and basically, I was, I was trying to point out the, the arrogance and pride in, in her life for assuming that somehow you have to have a high and lofty office in the life of a church to be successful. By the way, for those of you that are listening, I have." a high office in the life of a church, of the church. It's called eldership and pastoral leadership. And I'm just going to tell you this straight up for those of you that are aspiring to that. It's very anticlimactic. Some people come to church and think, Oh, if I could just be a pastor, a leader folks, if God calls you to that, he'll equip you for that. But every pastor who's worth his weight and salt knows that there's a certain vulnerability and pressure and stress to being in pastoral leadership that we'd like to cast off. It's anticlimactic. So don't look at those that are in more prominent positions and think that they're in better positions. They're just in different positions. And weed out of your life any inclinations that you might have to try to climb the ladder, so to speak, because you think if I can just get a a, a bigger office or a better job in the life of the church that I'll feel better about myself. No, you won't. Serve where the Lord has planted you. If he calls you to eldership, that's great. If he calls you to sweep the aisle after church, sweep as unto the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. So some people are just overly sensitive. You know, again, wasn't invited to a wedding. Someone picked on my kid. Just chill out a little bit. Okay. In the life of a church, we're like an extended family. Just like those of you that have brothers and sisters, I can guarantee you fought with your brothers and sisters growing up Aunts and uncles, cousins, grandparents, and grandchildren don't always get along. And in this, in the church, in the life of a church, which is a spiritual family, there's going to be tension at times. Don't cut and run so quickly. Then we would have small fish syndrome. I remember uh, reading many years ago, Third John nine where Diotrephes is described as a church leader in the, in the, in the early church in, in the New Testament era. And it's, he's described this way, Diotrephes, who loves to be first. So he was causing problems in the church and his motive is actually exposed by John. He loves to be number one. And there are some people, admittedly, that come to church who aren't recognized at work aren't recognized at school, aren't recognized in the musical field or the science field or the educational field. And they come to church and they're like, this is my opportunity to be recognized. And I want to be a big fish in a small pond. And when they discover that they might end up being a small fish in a big pond, which is fine, no different being a If you are called to be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond, if you're called to be a significant person in a small church or a relatively insignificant person in a large church, it doesn't matter, folks. It doesn't matter. And I can tell you this as a pastor, my antennas are up pretty high and I can usually smell them out pretty quick. If there are people that come to our church looking specifically looking for opportunities, too quick, too fast for the wrong reasons. Over time, you learn to kind of sniff them out. And some people, they they want to be in the church because they're looking for recognition. Now, there's nothing wrong with aspiring to eldership. The first qualifications, uh, qualification of eldership is to aspire to it, actually. Mm-hmm. So there's no coercion involved in serving as an elder in your church. There are other qualifications. You have to be husband one wife, apt to teach and so forth. But the first qualification is to desire it. It has to be a spiritual desire. But if someone is in the life of a church and they're not getting the recognition that they want, I, I've seen this with young young pastors. It's like I'm sick of being the youth guy. I'm sick of being the associate guy. I got to be a lead pastor because I'm tired of people calling me the second banana in the bunch or the guy that sits in the second chair. Or I'm I'm you know I want to get paid more, and the lead pastor gets paid more. I right? you know I get I get I'll get more recognition, and they end up finding a lead pastor some place, and they move from, you know, an a plus associate pastor, or a plus youth pastor to a C minus lead pastor, because that's just not how God's designed them. Mm-hmm. And there's, we, we have to get just get these fleshly carnal thoughts out of our mind that somehow the church is some corporate body where the end goal is to advance my career. We're seeking to advance the purposes of God. And every person has their own unique set of gifts and abilities that are part of that. And not to say that as we grow older that we may not find ourselves in areas of ministry we didn't expect. I said this to you before. I did never I never expected and aspired to be a lead pastor. Well, even when I went to Bible college to train for ministry, I wanted to be a missionary in a Muslim country. And if you were to ask me, what would be the... Least likely thing you'd want to do be like I, I would never want to be a lead pastor. Lead pastors are boring. You know, old guys rambling on. Right. But o- over time, the Lord made it clear that this is where He wants me. Mm-hmm. And blooming where you're planted is really, really important. And assessing like what what area of life can I best serve in if 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 I can be an A plus minister of Christ by serving in the nursery of this church every week, that's where I should plant myself. Right. If I should, if, if in order to get an, an A plus, in other words, to maximize my, maximize my gifts and my potential, I should be the best parking lot greeter. You know was ever set foot in the parking lot of our church, then do that. Mm-hmm. If the Lord calls you to be a lead path, whatever it might be, just, forget about trying to climb the corporate ladder but it's so carnal and assess who you are so sm- small fish syndrome is is a huge problem and a, and a bad reason to leave a church and then Eric I would say at times I've seen people that leave churches because they have sort of a super spiritual syndrome people that lack a sense of humor as soon as there's a joke cracked they're gone no that's not that's not thats kind of sacrilegious As soon as people want to have a little bit of fun, as soon as they discover that church people have weaknesses, as soon as they discover that the elders have weaknesses, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as soon as they discover that people aren't perfect, you know, as soon as they discover that, whatever it might be, that they're not in a perfect church, they leave, generally because they assess themselves as being more perfect than they actually are. Right. And uh, Jesus had something to say about that in Matthew when he talks about judging people. It's like, well, yeah, we should judge others, but take the beam out of your own eye before you address the speck and in another's. So I think it's important for us to exercise maximum grace in our daily relationships and interactions with one another, or we're not going to last very long, right? You know, exactly in the life of the church.
0: Not to be confused with what you are talking about earlier when when people get. Um, people get offended when people call out their sin, uh, wounds from a friend, uh, right. Are, are better than kisses from an enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, yeah, make sure that if you're going to call someone out that, that you're, you're humble about where you are with that particular sin as well. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean the, the whole idea of Galatians 6, one talks about bearing one other's burdens and restoring those that are caught in sin. But There's a warning right in the opening verses of Galatians 6 to be careful lest you yourself are tempted. And one of the ways that people are tempted, can be tempted to sin, is by assuming that they could never commit the sin that they're confronting someone else over. That can be a problem. Or pretending you don't have the sin when you know right well you have the sin. Mm -hmm. It's like the pastor that's calling out someone for an affair who himself is having an affair. Or the pastor that's wagging his finger at his congregation on Sundays because they haven't given enough money in the offering plate, who himself doesn't tithe mm-hmm. or manage his own funds, or who's sitting in an office with a parent and is counseling someone as to how to raise his his or her uh, child, and his own children are out of control. So we we have to be careful right. about that, and I think that's a good good reminder one of the reasons why people I've noticed leave churches and it's a bad reason is because they want to say in everything, they have the notion that the church is a democracy, that they should have personal access to the leadership, that somehow they're like a paying customer. Now I can tell you for myself, just speaking from my own experience. Uh, and I think, you know, you know me well enough to affirm this, that I, I, I genuinely, I'm outgoing. I love people. I'd love to meet everybody in the church and get to know them well. I I would desire that.
0: More so than I expected when I first got here. Is that right? Yeah, it it surprised me how often you are out in the lobby talking to people and yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I enjoy that. I like people. I like hearing people's stories and hearing about them. But I've had to sort of, realize that as the church grows, I just, I don't have the capacity to know everybody that comes here. So you have to build a leadership structure where people are being pastored and encouraged by a plurality of leaders in the life of a church. So it's something I I mourn a little bit that I don't know everybody. When the church, when we planted the church with 35 people, I would say, I pretty much knew everybody within a few weeks up to about Two two 250 people. But then after that, it's just like, it might be six weeks before I meet someone. It might be a year, you know, when you have hundreds and hundreds of people coming through, it's just hard to keep track of it all. And, and that's fine. I mean, this is not, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but this, the the early church in Acts two celebrated that 3000 converts were added to their numbers and one day they celebrated. The number is actually listed in the biblical text. It's a celebration when lots of people come to Christ. There's nothing wrong with a biblical functioning mega church. It's something we desire. We want churches to grow. We you know, we want them to plant new churches as well, but there's there's no magical number associated with, you know, what a, a good church is or not. But I think I want to combat the idea just as a, as a sidebar that if you're a big church, you must be a compromised church, or if you're a big church, you must be an unbiblical church, that Christ's vision for the church is for it to be under 100 people. That's bunk. Mm-hmm. Um, some some will be allotted 100 to shepherd. Some might be allotted 20,000 to shepherd. Shepherd them biblically. There's there's no direct correlation between compromise and size any more than uh, – it, it just tends to be that if you screw up when you're a bigger church, everyone hears about it. So if there's a big church pastor that runs off and his wife, it's national news. Nobody pays attention to the hundred small church pastors that ran off on their wives last week. Right. But um, anyway, that's just a little sidebar. Uh, people need to fight against, people need to, to come into the life of a church and really think about like, how can I contribute to the life of this church in light of how God has gifted me and blessed me rather than, well, I need like I need my own on-call 24/7 pastoral care. We 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 do need need one another, but we also need to learn to be self-feeders over time, right? And to be okay with the fact that not everybody's going to be available to meet my every need. So I'm I'm a, I'm a man too, I'm a Christian, and in my th- mid thirties, I started to look around and realize there's not a lot of men to mentor me anymore. I'm starting to move forward in life and people are busy. And I kind of had to mourn that, that there weren't a lot of Papa Bear pastors around me to mentor me and train me anymore. I had to sort of learn to Mm self-feed and to rely upon a plurality of peers to, to, um, uh, be nourished in my faith. So when you go to a church church, maybe I would say just reduce your expectations a little bit in terms of uh, what you need from your church and ask, you know, how can I serve the church instead of how can this church serve me? Finally, um, I'll just go back to this idea. I, I I find this perplexing. Okay. So I, I've heard many people say, well, I, I got to leave my church. I don't want to go there because it's too big. And again, I'm like, what, what is, what does that mean? Like what, what do you mean it's too big? If it means that you can't get connected to people, which I think it often means that for people, it might be that there are some structural problems right. in the life of that church where they're not doing a good job in plugging people in and integrating people.
0: Because sometimes you can get lost in a huge, like 6,000 person church.
1: Yeah, you walk in and it's like, wow, there's a lot of people here. Yeah. But I've, I've said this before. I walked into a church of 15 people once, many years ago, I was asked to preach, to fill in for several weeks at a church of 15 people. Not friendly, really at all. Right. There was one family that was hospitable. Everyone else just kind of stare at you and I'm like, we're the, we're the guests. My wife had to go downstairs and teach our kids Sunday school while we were the guests because none of the people wanted to do it. Like it was super weird. She just kind of took over the Sunday school classroom. And um so culturally when you build out a church as a leader you you always have to work on building a culture that is friendly and hospitable to the stranger. By the way, one of the biblical qualifications for eldership is to be hospitable to the stranger. Hospitality is by definition not teas and crumpets with your buddy. It is hospitality to the proverbial stranger. Mm-hmm. So we want to do a good job of that. And in our church, we talk about being a church with, um, not just with small groups, but a church of small groups. We require our people to be in a small group under the watchful care of a flock elder so that everyone who's committed to our church knows we're committed to their pastoral care and their development. So there's ways of developing that and some churches do it better than others. But I, I think sometimes people have this idea that a small church is somehow more spiritual. Well... I've pastored small church and big church and everything in between. It's not true. I'm, I concern myself about the the culture, the faithfulness, the biblical veracity of a church, and whether ten people show up or ten thousand people show up. Okay, great. We're meeting more. We're we're meeting more people's needs. That's a wonderful thing. But instead of going to a church and saying, "Okay, I, I want to be in a church where everybody knows my name." like the old Cheers show in the 1990s, you know, I want to go where everyone knows my name. I like to go to the bar because everybody there remembers me. They remember what I drink and what I wear and where I work. Mm-hmm. Okay. I get that. That can be fun, but you can find that elsewhere. But if you're in a faithful church, you should probably be anticipating that that church is going to grow. Uh, we want more people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Numbers do matter. People are like, Oh, numbers don't matter. Yeah. Numbers do matter because they represent souls. I'd rather reach a hundred thousand than 10 who wouldn't I'd rather reach a million than a hundred thousand who wouldn't because they represent souls, people made in the image and likeness of God. So find, find a church that has a healthy uh, biblical basis to it. And obviously is doing what Christ has called the church to do, but don't get so hung up on the size of the church. You may find a church. You may find that the most healthy church in your town is a church of 35 people but they are so in love with Christ and just doing wonderful things in the community and are faithful to the Lord. If that's true, go there. But if the most faithful church in town is running hundreds, if not thousands of people go there, you want to, you know, bloom, you want to plant yourself where God is already bearing fruit and um, you'll be blessed by it. So those are just some reasons that come to my mind as to why people bad reasons why people sometimes leave their local church.
0: I'd agree. Those are some pretty bad reasons to leave a church. And I've seen those uh, in the the course of my life too, just as a, as a congregant. But uh, what about some good reasons to leave a church? What's, what are some, what are your top reasons to leave a church for a good reason? Well, if you can't find a girlfriend and you're single,
1: (laughs) 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 that's a tongue in cheek. I I just, it just kind of came to me.
0: Yeah. I've I've (laughs) actually, you know what? I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily fault someone because sometimes I've had this in my in my life. You go to a really small church, and there is like yeah. literally almost no one in your in your youth group. Like yeah, the, the three girls are all your first cousins. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know I, I don't know. Maybe it's probably a good time to hey, this church has got a large, thriving youth group. Maybe it's probably a good idea for me to go there and uh, look out for some perspective. perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you are going to be committed to marrying a Christian, which you yeah. should be, then you know there there might be some practicalities there for. For a person to consider. Uh, but one uh, the most obvious reason to leave a church is when there's spurious doctrine, right? When a church is denying cardinal verities, creedal Christian doctrine, uh, you know, we we can endure differences in our churches on eschatological issues, I would hope, mm-hmm. because I have an eschatological position, I'm not gonna die for it other than the second coming of Christ but I'm not going to die for my millennial position. I'm not going to die for some of these lesser issues. And But if I deny creedal Christianity, so if I deny the Trinity, the authority of scripture, the virgin birth, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, salvation, by grace through faith alone, these sorts of things, then I am apostate. Right. That's heresy. It's not heresy to have a different view on Women in ministry, as important it is, it is as it is for us to think through that. There's significant implications, but it's not heresy. It's not heresy to be a credo Baptist or a Paedobaptist. Baptist. These aren't heretical stances. They're important. We like to think through them. We think we think about them a lot, actually. But if a person, if a church is drifting, now generally church, you don't just have someone stand up unless it's a completely crazy church and say, you know, we hereby deny the Trinity or we hereby deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you start to see subtle movement in that direction and you've had the conversations and you've addressed it and you can't sort of go anywhere with it, don't seem to get any traction, then it may be time to move on. Now, you you don't want to, just because something is said If something said that you think is off, you want to go have a conversation with the preacher or teacher to make sure that you understood it properly. And you also want to ask, like, how deep is this issue in relationship to the span of my life and how it'll affect my soul and my family? So if I know people that stay in liberal churches because they hope to bring a change, well, generally speaking, churches don't change. Because generally speaking, what you're actually fighting is not one person or one issue. You're fighting a whole culture of compromise. And I do know people that have stayed in spurious churches, false churches for far too long and it starts to affect their children, the next generation. Their kids abandon the faith. They're tough enough to endure the stupidity or the false teaching perhaps, but their children aren't and they they, they lose the next generation. So you, you need to sort of weigh that out. Like if you're in a church where... Someone comes in and says something off the wall, and you go and address it, and it's it's dealt with. You don't have to leave the church the next day. but if if it's if it's a, a, an attack on the authority of God's word, then then it's an issue. Now, I'll say this. i I believe the authority of Christ over life and culture is an implication of that. So if you're in a church that is statist, that is unwilling to affirm the the absolute lordship over all of life, that's an affront by implication to the sovereignty of God and the definition of who God is. So I know, and I applaud them for it. I'll be straight up, I applaud them for it. People that have left churches over the last couple of years because those churches have failed to stand for the absolute lordship of Christ over all of life. I mean, he's either lord of all or he's not lord at all. So people need to think through those issues. Sure. Now, let's talk about distinctives. So we, we mentioned different views on baptism, on eschatology. Perhaps there's some different views in your church on um, Calvinism and Arminianism or gradations within those systems. Uh, you might have different views on worship styles or exactly how that Work, works itself out in the life of a church or leadership structure. Some churches lean congregational. Some are Presbyterian. Like when I say Presbyterian, I don't mean a Presbyterian church, but they're led by elders, by the Presbyteros. Um, so those some of those distinctives are like in your face all the time and others of them are more beliefs behind the scenes. So for example, if if you were in a church that preached the gospel and affirmed the Lordship of Christ, or if I was in a church that did that and the people were genuinely in love with the Lord, but had a very different view on eldership, they, they wanted to um, run everything by the congregation, vote on everything, be congregationally led. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trash talk that church, but I, I don't, that's not a conviction I could tolerate right? because it's in my face all the time.
0: So you would maybe consider leaving that church just because it's in your face or? Yeah, because it's it's a distinctive that you, you're you constantly exposed to.
1: Or if you had females preaching I see, okay. uh, to mixed audiences, I would not be able to tolerate that. I'm not going to say those people aren't going to be in heaven. I'm not going to put it in the category of orthodoxy but let's suppose we had different views on eschatology, which we do in our own church. We're not going to take a hard and fast line and say, you have to have this eschatological position to be a ministry partner, to be a member of Harvest Bible Church. We're not going to do that. And we can have conversations about it, but it's not like in, in your face. So it's, It's it's a doctrine that informs and affects how we live because there's implications to your eschatology in terms of how you deal with the world around you and hope and timing and interpret world events, but it's not really cause for schism or division. On the level of fellowship, so a person has to kind of weigh that out. What their their comfort level is? Ideally, okay. Ideally, we'd all love to be in a church that holds our views on everything, right. yeah. <laughs> but chances are that's that's not going to be the case. So I I weigh that out. And for me, in terms of distinctives, issues like the structure of the church. So I do believe in elder uh, ruled churches. So the structure of a church would be really important to me and the roles of men and women in eldership would be really really important to me and of lesser importance would be stylistic issues um, but i would still consider them uh, i i wouldn't i certainly wouldn't feel comfortable leaving a church just because you know not everybody's a five point or four point calvinist or something like that Mm-hmm. but I I would feel uncomfortable in a church if I was being exposed to Arminian doctrine every week because that's just so far removed from the way I process scripture. So these, these are things that people have to sort of weigh out and, and a person could worship at one church on one block and five blocks away, another congregation is worshiping and these congregations have deep respect for each other, but they may hold to very different views on covenantal baptism. Right. Right. Uh, or very different views on women in ministry. And I think there's there should always be room for debate and dialogue about that, but we have to be careful about not taking distinctives and throwing them into the orthodoxy basket, mm-hmm. right? However, let's talk a little bit more about leadership. If a church has unqualified leadership, it's, it's going to be very difficult to stay there. I've talked to various... Uh, you know, younger men who've asked me questions along the lines of, you know, I'm, I'm in a church. I, I love the elders, the, the lead pastor, the pastoral staff, but I just, I just not sure they're qualified for ministry. They just, they either don't have the gifts to lead on that level, which isn't their fault, but they're wrongly positioned. Right. Or they're just not qualified for the role. So, For example, people can go through seminary and come out the other end with a master's of divinity degree and a denomination assumes, oh, you have your master's of divinity degree. You you therefore qualify to pastor a church because you have the credentials. No, you could have grade 12 and qualify to pastor a church. You could have five PhDs in theology and not qualify to pastor a church if you don't meet the qualifications of the pastoral epistles. So seminary generally helps But it doesn't make you an elder. It's not like, oh, I went to nursing school, therefore I'm a nurse. I went to engineering school, therefore I'm an engineer. I went to pastor school, therefore I'm a pastor. No, it doesn't work that way. There's a biblical qualification. There's a set of biblical qualifications which are certainly honed and developed in a good seminary education. But fundamentally, they're gifted to you by God. And... Some are gifted as deacons, some are gifted as elders, some are gifted as lay servants in the life of a church. Again, that's fine. But if you're in a church that is unqualified leadership and is and you can't seem to bring about a change, you have to determine: like, is this a is this a one-off? Is it that the guy that's running the church or the men that are running the church right now are just, you know, they're they're a little off, but I can work with them, I can adjust them. I'm seeing them progress. They're they're young, they're maybe a little, a little bit green, but we can work with them. Is it that kind of an issue or is it a systemic issue where this church actually doesn't have, doesn't place value on biblically qualified leadership? So I, in hindsight, when I was moving around as a kid and doing some internships and some of the early ministries I was in, in hindsight because I know I've learned more I've thought more about what the scripture teaches on biblical leadership I realized that some of the structures I was in weren't biblical and some of the people that were in positions of high leadership weren't actually qualified so you've you've probably seen this where you you go to a church and it's like well who who's the board right first yep. of all the word board is can be a dangerous term because it's not a biblical term it sounds very corporate yeah I prefer the term a council or something like that. But um, we'll just use the word board because it's common. So if we have a board of elders, it's like, well, how do these guys become elders? Well, they're the known names in the church, okay? That's a problem. Well, they're the big givers in the church, okay? That's a problem. Well, they run corporations, so they must be able to run a church. That's a problem. Well, they're big personalities, that's a problem. Well, they've been here the longest. That's a problem. You know, or they drive Cadillacs every week. That's a problem. So we, we often, pastors do this too. Lead pastors who often have a, a role in determining who the board is will often pick big givers, yes men, people they perceive to sort of are going to rapidly advance their schedule. They put them into biblical offices like eldership. And then you, you're like, does this guy even know how to, teach the word because that's a qualification of eldership doesn't mean he needs to preach a 45 minute Western style homily, but can he open and exposit the Bible to the people of God? If he can't, he's, he's not qualified, right. period, just not qualified. So you, you, you have to actually affirm the qualifications. If your elders cannot teach and preach the word of God, for example, they're not qualified. If they're not in charge of their family if their family isn't well managed if their kids are unbelievers if their kids are off the wall if their wife's disobedient they, they're just not qualified we love them we want to work with them but they're just they're just not qualified right. and do yourself a favor and them a favor and tell them that but if a, if a church persisted in appointing people to leadership that are unqualified that's cause and grounds to to um, to move on mm-hmm. Um, I would also say that there are parental considerations. So we had this little laugh early on about, um, you know, the young guy gets to be 18, 19, he's looking for a wife and, you know, he has three options, his first cousin, his second cousin and his sister. Right. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, no, thank you. So what do you do? Well, it's the same with your children. So as, as if you're parents and you're attending a church and you love the people, but you and and I'm big into family ministry. Like I'm, I don't believe we need, we don't need by definition to have a kid's ministry, a youth ministry, a young adult ministry. Like if you have these things, that's cool. A A women's ministry and men's ministry. If you can minister to demographics within your church in a meaningful way, that's great. Do that. You'll, you'll expand your reach. But I, I was in some pretty small churches when I was a kid and You know, I might have been 15, 16, and my mentors were 35, 40-year-old guys, and there was one or two other youth in my church, and I flourished. So you can flourish in a church where there's not a lot of people that are your age, but it still has to be a healthy, vibrant, biblical church. If you're in a church where there's just no attention paid to the youth, especially in a culture now where these kids are getting hammered with all sorts of crazy ideologies, or... Literally, you have no spousal options. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like zero. Mm-hmm. Well, that might be reason to consider fellowshipping elsewhere. And that's assuming that you have, you know, done your part to evangelize and build up the congregation as well. It's not other people's responsibility to provide you with your spousal options. Right. But if you're a parent or a young person and there's just no ministry to your children, there's no interest in ministry to your children, no spousal options, that, that can be a legitimate reason to start to fellowship elsewhere. And, uh, you know, we, we want, obviously, we, we we don't want to abandon um, small churches. And we we certainly don't want to at all. And we, we don't want people to, you know, be in the church just for themselves. But there's some practical realities that need to be considered when you're part of, you know, a Christian church.
0: Right. So, kind of like you said, like maybe you wouldn't, you wouldn't talk bad about that church at all no. to like a friend, but just for your life and where the Lord's leading you, it's maybe not the right fit.
1: Yeah, we've had some people come here, and they're like, you know, our kids started coming to youth group because we didn't have a youth group at our church, and we just really felt our kids needed to be in that kind of an environment. And we, you know, we prayed about it, and we we wanted them to sit under teaching directed toward the young people and wanted them to develop robust network of relationships. And over time we decided to come as well because our kids wanted to be there. And, uh, I understand that. Like if even in our own church, if, if we had again, back to the marriage thing, if we had 50 young men and zero young women of marriageable age, I wouldn't fault the young men of our church for going to another faithful church to look for a wife. Wouldn't guilt trip them into staying? Well, you got to stay because, you know, you got to be faithful to the Lord, you know, be like Paul. Everyone's called to celibacy. No, yeah. um, I wouldn't fault them for that. I would understand that. I, I would fault them if they're just jumping from church to church, you know, wherever, whoever has the most youth or whatever whatever church sort of has the, the proverbial buzz attached. You know, in, in most cities, there's a church that sort of is, the going concern and then yeah. it switches every few years to some other church. I'm not into that, but there are some practical realities for us to, to consider just like driving distance. I mean, in Saudi Arabia, you got to drive a long way to find a church, but in North America, there's a lot more churches. And I understand there's some people that might want to come to our church. We live six hours away or five yeah. hours away. Like I'm not expecting them to drive down three times a week. Mm-hmm. So there's just some practical concerns there, but of more importance to me, would be things like a systematic, or I should use the word systemic culture of apathy. Again, what we need to understand is churches, sometimes we don't think about the sociological dimensions to groupings of people, especially when it comes to the church. So this is the illustration I give. So Eric, if I I came to your mom and dad's house and I just hung around with you guys for a week, and we talked and I observed you going through your daily routines and how you conduct yourselves in relationship to one another, and how you talk at the dinner table and what you eat and what you watch on TV and what you invest your time in, I would be able to identify a certain culture to the old Trop family. Yep. Maybe they're mu- musical. Maybe they're athletics, uh, athletic, um, an, an athletic family. Maybe they are intellectuals. Maybe they're, maybe they have a lot of, humor attached to their um, interaction. Maybe they're very serious. Maybe they're traditional. You know, people have different cultural dynamics in their families that differ from mine and the guy that lives next to me and the guy down the street, et cetera. So it's the same in church. Churches are gatherings of people and the personalities that are in those churches and the ethnic histories of those people and the denominational background and all those sorts of things affect the culture of that church. If you walk into a church that is, let's say, more homogenous in terms of its ethnic orientation. So if you walk into a Dutch reformed church and everybody there, or 99% of the people is a Dutch last name, inevitably they're carrying forward, knowingly or unknowingly, aspects of their Dutch history. If you walk into a Congolese church that's in Toronto and 99% of the people there are from the Congo and you watch the way they worship and interact. There's elements of their culture that are going to be evident in that church. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It could be, but it's not necessarily a bad thing to have differences. So churches are going to have different cultures, but but there's certain aspects of culture that aren't morally neutral one would be apathy. Christ had something to say about the lukewarm church of Laodicea. If it's apathetic, if it's like we're just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. We meet because we've always done it that way. We worship this way because, I don't know, we, we've just always done it that way. We have our annual this and our annual that. Everything's annualized, which generally means it's traditionalized. Right. We don't really know why we do it. We just always done it that way. This is we dress this way because I don't know this is what we were t- told how to dress. We don't deal with issues because we don't want to offend everybody. We're just one big family. Apathy is very very difficult to change in most local churches unless there's some sort of dynamic repentance and movement of God. And if so, again, if you if you see apathetic people, every church is apathetic people, but if it's a systemic cultural issue and you've, you've sought to bring about change, and you've sought to address it, and you've sought to act otherwise, but it, it just won't change, it may be time for you to move from the lukewarm church to one that's actually red hot for Christ. Yeah. That's a, just a consideration. Politicking is also a huge turnoff. If a person's in a church where there's politicking, where people are rewarded uh, with status points in order to accomplish the leadership's agenda. That's a problem. When uh, families that have been around longer seem to have all the leadership positions, that's not necessarily unexpected. If you have, if you have the Smith family that's been attending a church for five generations and have done a good job raising all their kids and their grandkids and their great grandkids, and they're all part of that church, well, you can expect there's probably going to be a lot of Smiths serving in leadership. Naturally. Yeah. Yeah. But if it's more like, well, the Smith family's always been here, they may or may not be godly people, but they're the Smiths. So we're going to give the Smiths all the leadership positions and all the public applause. That's a problem. So you got to kind of look at motive there a little bit. If there's a culture of politicking where decisions are made based upon, you know, rewarding people for their their longevity and not for their virtue, these sorts of things, that that can be a little gross, a bit of a turnoff. Yeah. Um, but if there, if that culture is there, if there's like a systemic problem with decision making and just the decision making is not prayerful and spirit led and biblically based that, that may be something that you want to move away from a final reason. It's a good reason to leave a church is if there's clear affirmation that you're supposed to go plant a church and, I know this is a bit of a subjective thing, but there may be clear affirmation that there's an unreached people group or unreached community that needs a gospel witness and, or there it may not be that you're in a community with no gospel witness, but there may be no dynamic gospel witness, right. no effective gospel witness. It may be that, um, you know, God calls people out for periods of time to, to plant new churches and, and, you know we we affirm that.
0: Mhm. Yeah. So what would you say to pastors who who mourn people when they leave because you know that can be hard. I know you've you've been through that. So so what are some words of advice and that you'd give to them?
1: Yeah. Um yeah, so the, the audience is listening to this are lay people and this is hopefully helpful for you to process why people may leave church or when it's acceptable for you to do so, but it's also being listened to by pastors. And I, I've been around a lot of pastors and I know there is a variety of responses to people who leave our churches. Just be brutally honest. Some of them are blessed subtractions. Some people are problematic and you work with them and you try to bring them along and they just, they just won't change. And they're like, well, I'm leaving. It's like, okay, well don't let the door hit you on the way out. You know, it's, I'm not trying to be mean spirited in that regard, but they're, I remember years ago there was a young man that I had mentored. Man, I I spent I probably have spent or had spent more time mentoring this guy formally and informally than almost anybody in my entire pastoral ministry to that point in time. And you know there was times when he'd call, I'm I'm done with Christianity, or I'm leaving the church, and we'd have a good meaningful talk, and I you know talk him off the ledge so to speak, and he'd return and flourish for a little while, and then go back into it. But after like round number eight, I just realized I'm not the Holy Spirit. And while I believe in leaving the ninety-nine to pursue the one, I don't believe I could. I should spend all my time pursuing the one right. and leave the ninety-nine. Mm-hmm. So I I just sort of backed off, and he ultimately fell away from the faith. I, it's very sad, but I realized he was not regenerate, and he fell away from the faith, and that was very difficult for me and I mourned that, but you know, you need to remind yourself you're not God, you're not the Holy Spirit, you're responsible to do the right thing as best as you understand it and let God do what only God can do. So people, pastors and leaders listening, people will leave your church this year and they will leave your church for good reasons and they'll leave your church for bad reasons. The easiest ones to leave are the ones that die because, we. and I don't say that humorously, but we understand that people pass on and it's just a reality of life. But people will leave for bad reasons. They'll leave because they misunderstand you. They'll leave because they're mad at you. But what you need to understand is most of the time, while people can leave and make it sound like it's about you, don't take it personally. I mean, unless there's a legitimate issue in your life you're not dealing with people will generally attack leadership. So they, they're more opposed to maybe the office of pastor than they are to pastor Tom or pastor Bill or pastor Mike or whoever might be listening. Right. So every pastor of course wants a big front door to his church. People are coming in and no back door, you know, I just want anybody to ever leave. But we all, we all have a front door and a back door and Obviously we want the front door to be bigger than the back door, but people are going to come. You're going to get a hundred people and you're going to lose 50. You're going to get 10 people and you're going to lose four, whatever it might be. That's, that's normal. And you don't want to desensitize yourself to that or become the guy that just sort of goes through the motions because I'll know nobody's ever really going to be loyal, you know, and if they're not loyal, I'm not going to be loyal. If they're, if they're going to leave just like that, then I'm just going to leave whenever I have a better opportunity. Don't be that guy. But at the same time, you need to realize that not every person that you pastor is someone you're going to pastor for life. In fact, very few people, you'll pastor very, very few people for life. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: People will come and people go. And some of your best friends, your most loyal pals will eventually leave your church. Just know that. It's going to happen. If you're a long-term tenured pastor, it's going to happen. And what you don't want to do is be uh, hard-hearted about that. You want to be thick skinned but soft-hearted, no matter what you're doing in ministry. You wanna you wanna have a soft heart. There's a there's it's appropriate to mourn the loss of a dear friend that's leaving for reasons you don't agree with. But at the end of the day, you fulfill your calling, you be faithful to the Lord. Don't take it uh personally. Another piece of advice that I received many years ago is that illustration of the cupped hand versus the closed fist. Right. As a pastor, we hold our hands in a cupped position. Just picture that in your mind right now. And that cupped hand symbolizes our stewardship, where God sometimes puts people in our hands to shepherd and care for and teach and mentor and exhort. But we never close our fingers around them and hold them as if they belong to us. Your church isn't your church. This isn't my church. This isn't my ministry. This is Christ's church. I'm just here for a period of time to shepherd this church under the ultimate wash, watchful care of the great shepherd of the church of Lord Jesus Christ. And eventually I'm going to die, retire, get booted out, whatever, <laughs> lose my voice, <laughs> die of COVID-19. Cause I didn't wear a mask, you know, whatever it might yeah. be, something yeah. will happen and I won't be here, but Christ mm-hmm. will continue to build his church through hopefully faithful churches, like ours many years ago I had a dear friend and he was um taking over a church that had gone through a lot of schism and he called me he's like okay I'm gonna I'm I'm developing a list of all the people over the years that have left and I'm gonna call them all and we're gonna bring them all back and I'm like dude do oh, not man. do that like they left for a hundred different reasons many of which have been forgotten but no I it's the biblical thing to do it's unity and man he he actually did a really good job of bringing them back and then a really bad job of pastoring them and the church grew. And then there was just, you know, all H E L L broke loose and this church just nosedived. And it was a very, very long painful experience because he convinced people to come back who never dealt with their issues. Mm. And they came back and then they just brought their issues back. And now you got like, issues that took place over 10 years, you're dealing with them all at once.
0: Maybe it was like, sounds like it was good intentions, but it it almost just seems like, yeah, like maybe a lot of people left, but just be a faithful pastor to the people you have now, to the people the Lord provided you with, you know?
1: A rule of thumb is don't beg people to return and don't beg people not to leave. Right. It always backfires, I found. Don't beg people to leave. I was with another dear pastor years ago and he, he would just get so worked up whenever anybody left. He'd talk about it for weeks. Just so angry. So upset. I'm like, just, just let it go, man. Let Mm -hmm. it go. Love the people that God has placed uh, under your care while they're there. And you know, don't be nonchalant, about it when people leave. It's not like that, but, but we, you cannot, I'll go back to the 99. Sometimes when someone is string, you have to leave the 99 to pursue the one. I've literally right. done that before. But if you spend your whole ministry pursuing the one, what happens to the 99? They eventually get and scattered get or lost. eaten. So you, you, you have to have that that focus. When the prodigal son left, his dad let him leave. Did he want him to leave? No. Did he say you should leave? No. Did he disagree with him leaving? Yes. But he didn't leave with him and leave his other son behind. He stayed. And eventually the son came back. By the way, it's cool. When you're pastoring the same church for long enough, you'll see people come back. I've seen that. People, I'm leaving. I'm mad. You know, I'm living in sin, whatever. And eventually two or three years later, they come back. So that's kind of neat to see too. Longevity and ministry is really, really um, beneficial. Don't exaggerate the issue with elders and staff. So when we all need to talk through things, and I think that's important, but... If someone has left and we're still talking about it five years later, we've talked about it for 50 different people. It's come on, like just chill out a little bit. Don't take it so personally and move on. And again, don't expect to pastor the same people for your entire life. Um, The Lord will use us for different seasons to minister to groups of people. There are some people that I suspect I, I probably will pastor for decades and there's other people that will will come and go. And do, do, I, do I like that? Not necessarily. Do I agree with that? Not necessarily. But that's just a reality of yeah. it. And I have to accept that. And if you're going to last in ministry for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and every single time you allow someone to stick a dagger in you when you leave, you're going to be a very wounded person. So it doesn't mean that you, again, just harden your heart against it, but somehow you have to be thick skinned and soft hearted and, and find that balance and just allow the Lord to be sovereign in that process of allowing you to shepherd the people he has in front of you. So many pastors get burned out or wounded because of expectations they have that are not actually godly expectations. Right. Right. I thought it would be different. I thought the church would be bigger. I thought there'd be more giving. I thought more people would come. I thought that person would stay for life. And humanly speaking, I understand that. But as an experienced pastor now, I would gladly pass on what little wisdom I have to younger pastors and say, look, get over yourself. Don't get so worked up about that. Don't get so mad when people leave. You should be upset when other churches accept into their membership people that you've disciplined. That's a bad, bad thing. But people come and go, for different reasons, and while you want to deal with them as best as you can, don't let it deflate your balloon.
0: It's like you're not perfect, you know, you, you have your own issues, and then you multiply that by however many people you have in your church, and then you know that compounded. Yeah, ministry ends up being messy, right? Like you say all the time. Yeah, it is. And not everybody is going to understand you, like, you're going to be
1: misunderstood, you're going to be misinterpreted, you're going to be misquoted. And then sometimes you're going to be very well understood and people just don't agree with it or don't like it. So there's there's a whole variety of reasons why people come and go from churches. I just want to call people to um, faithfulness to the body of Christ. The, the, The church universal is Christ's idea and local churches are Christ's idea. We are called to invest in the life of a local assembly of believers. If you are a husband, a wife with kids, at your house and you say that's a church. No, it's not a church. That's a family. There's different spheres of authority. A church, by definition, is under the watchful care of eldership, an eldership, and it's it's more than your family. Now, if you're in Saudi Arabia and that's all you got, fine. But um, there's authority granted to the family, the church. There's Christian families that are part of the church. But every Christian family or household or individual needs to be part of a biblically functioning local assembly of believers and for all of her warts and weaknesses, the church is Christ's bride. Let's not talk negatively of Christ's bride. This is Christ's bride and we love the church and we're thankful for the church. I'm so grateful for all of the, the deepest pains I've experienced in life have come from other Christians I've been wounded far more by other Christians than I have by atheists and agnostics. And and maybe it's because I just don't care that much about what they think. Mm -hmm. But I've been, the, the deepest pains are from other Christians, but at the same time, the older I get, the more in love I am with Christ's church, because God has expanded my heart for his bride. And I see all of the beautiful, wonderful things that Christ can do through his people. And even in my own life to his, to his ultimate honor and his glory. So keep loving the church, keep leaning in. If you're part of an unfaithful church and you can't bring about reform, it's probably time for you to move on, but don't give up too quick and uh, make sure that you persevere and, and seek to do your part to be a contributing member of the body of Christ here on earth.
0: Yeah, amen to that. Thanks, Aaron, for that. And thank you, listener, for tuning in to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. You can find more episodes on major podcasting platforms like Amazon, Audible, uh, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc., wherever you find your your podcast, you can comment and rate on those. That helps us out. And on the Fight Laugh Feast Network app and the CJXC radio. So tune in next week for another episode and God bless and keep the faith.